to play first half. P.J. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to ATH Live, part of the SB Nation network of podcasts. I am your host, Chase. I'm here with my co-host, James. And today we have got the At The Hive podcast co-host, Zach Brown, joining us for a nice long show to discuss the, you know, bevy of unfortunate recent events that have transpired in the Hornets universe. We'll talk about the injuries to Monk and Hayward and how the rotations are going to change without them to plus without within LaMelo Ball's absence. Uh, in the second half of the show, we'll roll that into a discussion about uh, Hayward and Rozier, which was, you know, a lot more uh, riveting but prior to Hayward getting hurt. But, you know, that will still apply come playoff time. And then to round it out, we'll talk about uh, Devontae Graham picking up his performance lately. But first, how are you guys doing today? Where to start? Where to start? I can't even really begin to express the amount of bad feelings I have at this very moment where we've gone over what we should have achieved in our odds. We, we have really achieved something with this young team and with Hayward out for the next month with the East. So kind of packed in together in that uh, mid range of the playoffs. I just don't know how we're going to be able to fit into that kind of playoff picture in the next four weeks, which is kind of super critical. Firstly, Chase, you didn't you introduced the show as ATH Live. You were you didn't discuss that with me or Zach beforehand, and I don't know if I'm okay with it. I just wanna I don't want to just move past that. That was you just trying something out new there. What's going on? I completely I didn't even notice that until now. So you brought it up. I guess we're gonna have to roll that now because uh, you, you're, you're gonna have to run past yeah. these these big picture you know branding uh, ideas. Oh, oh you know why? Is because uh, we have it written as ATH on uh, or I have it written as ATH on one of my uh, like my podcast note sheets. So I just saw it. I let it rip. I didn't even notice until you said that. Now we'll have to see if we get any. Uh, thumbs down reviews but with the with the new name at the at the end of this one i'm sorry this isn't the ringer basketball show am i <laughs> yeah where, where's uh where's Rosillo? I, I had no idea yeah it's, um, um, look. Bells, james ring the bells like bring out your dead gordon hayward got hurt yeah i, th- I think look firstly can we all just thank chris haynes and shams for tweeting this 55 minutes or whatever before we were doing this podcast so true we would have spent 30 minutes with our section about hayward <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so literally true. been ruined instantly so shout out to uh, shams and chris haynes um gordon hayward injury prone players missed games what with the avulsion fracture a hip injury and now he's a, a, a sprained foot, which didn't look very sprained. Like you see the replay, it, it didn't. It didn't look like he injured. It's not like normally when you see someone tweet their ankle, like Sabonis, you could see his like foot go, and you're like, oh yeah, that hurts. And the problem is when someone leaves the game but doesn't return for an injury that doesn't look that bad, I'm always like, oh, that's not good because like something really has gone wrong. Um, so it, who knows? Like 17 games is a month. So if Hayward's out four weeks. 17 games, we're leaving seven games to come back to the regular season. You don't want to rush him back because look what happened in the bubble last year in Boston. He came back a shell of himself and then had to have like a, a follow-up procedure afterwards. So it wouldn't shock me right now if Hayward is out for the rest of the season. It, it wouldn't shock me if, we, if, just, if it went that way. He's not a guy who recovers quickly from injury. And the yeah. bone, you know, because there wasn't like a break of a bone or anything like that, if, if you've gone up for a basketball before with just the most athleticness that I have in my body and you've come down on somebody's foot, it kind of rolls like that. And usually I'm down for the count. But when I saw him get up, I thought, well, maybe it looked bad and it ended up not being that bad. But this is an echo of Lamelo Ball. Um, when he mm. hurt his wrist, he stayed in the game. So I thought it was kind of a nothing thing. He would wrap it or something like that. Then, then he was out four weeks, five weeks. Um, sad state of affairs, Chase. It's 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 not good. It's it's terrible. Like I, when he originally got hurt, I thought it was his knee too, with the way that he was like grabbing at it, kind of while he was shooting free throws. But yeah, when he didn't come back out to start the second half, like I knew that it wasn't like 
he was he probably wasn't just going to be out for the rest of this half. Like it was probably something that was more of a long term thing because with how close of a game that was, like I have to I would like to believe that if he would have just played like if it was something that he could push through, but it clearly was was not if and now he's out for the next four weeks. And I mean, with the rest of this road trip, just like it, it, the immediate repercussions, like they play Boston, Oklahoma City and Milwaukee, like the Oklahoma City is not good, but they're like they're not an easy team to beat. And then you're playing t- Boston is obviously their reasons that they'll might play better than normal not with Kemba good. being on that team. They Yeah, they're not good, but yeah. they certainly have good players on the team. And then Milwaukee sure. is actually good. And then Anytime you've got I can say Boston is not good. I try yeah, to you got it. You got to throw that in there for sure. That's yeah. uh, absolutely. But I mean, they got like the Lakers after that, the the Nets, the Trailblazers, like they play the Boston two more times and the Bucks again before the season's over. Like they play a lot of good teams while they're going to be missing Hayward, LaMelo and Monk, which is and you know how many, you know how many points good. per game that adds up to 50. Yeah, I was going to say points guessed. per game. The Charlotte Hornets will be missing from their lineup for at least the next two weeks. And that, that you know, it, it's, it's a little bit better if, if Malik comes back because you suddenly you've got some of that more, another ball handler, another shooter. But until Malik comes back, I mean, any game that this team wins is a bonus because this team just does not have enough offensive punch right now. I mean, the good thing I'll say is we, we've seen it in front of our eyes the last like 10 games where I think we're a top 10 defense. The team is slowing down how they play. They're going to a more grind out style already, even with Haywood. Um, and if they can keep like a top 10 defense, which I think could be a challenge, but if you see more minutes for Cody Martin, if you see more minutes for Miles Bridges, it, it's conceivable they could maintain at least tread water where they've been defensively. They could just eke out wins from playing harder, being disruptive, like they were in Indiana last night, scoring off turnovers. I, I think that's the only way they're going to really win games now is just really disrupting teams on the other end. Um, if, if they can finish, I, I think most likely now, I mean, what are the odds? What would you say the odds that they finish playing or above playing? I think like before before the Hayward injury, I would have said they should be above the playing like for the rest of the, the year. Uh, or if they at least finish like seven or eight, they'd not go down to the nine and 10. Now I think it's pretty conceivable like Chicago, Toronto, Indiana. One of them could catch Charlotte um, depending how it goes but the, the only way hope for me is like they just suddenly morph into a good defensive team which this team doesn't really have the personnel to do that but they've somehow done it anyway but hey has been a big part of that i mean seven rebounds in the month of march per game for a team that didn't rebound he's like way above his career average he's getting in there getting the ball like, like cody martin is not a great rebounder not as good as gordon haywood at least so it's going to be a challenge and there's reason to believe james Give them some hope, man. We've gone through injuries throughout this entire season. Whether you talk about Cody Zeller, Lamelo Ball, or Malik Monk, or Cody Zeller, or Cody Zeller, we've <laughs> gone through injuries before, and we've won games. Um, the Pacers game that we just won, uh, Hayward was struggling in that game. You know, his shot wasn't on. We won that game, you know, with him in the game, but there were other people to step up. And we haven't said Tody, uh, Terry Rozier's name yet, and he wins games. Thir- you know, 30 points a game is no problem for Terry Rozier. Let's see him Kobe a little bit. Let's see what he can do kind of in a, a one-on-one position. Um, I assume that's the only way you can score points, kind of going back to the Kemba Walker uh, days where, you know, you just spreads people out who can hopefully, hopefully, hopefully hit a corner three-pointer and let Terry collapse the defense and, and kick it out or something like that. You can my, my big worry, if you have a good defense, like you said, James. My, my big worry now is the other team's best defender goes from being on Hayward onto Terry Rozier because that person is not guarding Cody Martin. <laughs> so you're getting, you know, you're going to be, when you play like the Clippers, you're going to be get Kawhi. When you play the Celtics, you're probably going to get like Jalen Brown. Like you, you're going to get the best guy on Terry every night. And he is not the biggest. He is not the quickest. He's not most athletic. And if you put, he, he's, they've not been able to put the length on him this year because there's been other offensive threats with the Mello and Gordon Haywood. I, I think Terry could really, I, I want to believe, Zach, I want to believe, but every ounce of my Charlotte Hornets fandom from my long tenured relationship with this team, 
good things don't happen to the Hornets. And I want to believe they'll just bounce back, but everything is telling me that it's going to be a slog for the next, for the next two to four weeks. I'm glad you brought that up too about uh, like Terry's responsibility, because that was like the first thing that popped into my head was like, not only is Hayward just like good, like general, just at, he's just a good player. The, the things that he does for everybody else like other than Lamella, like nobody benefits the the rest of the team by being on the floor, just simply being out there other than Hayward. Like he's such a good passer. He could score at all three levels and he doesn't rely on like athleticism to do that. He's just a really strong, smart player. And that not being out there, not only like that, it does the, they're like the other team's best defender or best wing defender, not have to guard Hayward anymore. They can focus on containing Terry and Devante. Like, Team the team's de- team defenses generally, it's gonna be like last year where every single defense, like every night, was just selling out to get Terry and Devontae off the three-point line and then be like, okay, whatever happens from here is fine. And it's like we saw last year that when they make those shots and like a defense is not necessarily running them off the line or trapping them to the full best of their ability, the Hornets like w- pretty often win those games just because they're a good jump shooting team. But when they don't make those shots, they're like there was a reason they finished with like the third or fourth worst point differential in the NBA last year. Like they, they're, it gets ugly when when they don't have consistent sources of offense outside of Terry's shooting and Devontae's shooting because like Terry has grown a lot as a scorer, like being able to get into the mid range, find a spot, and like pull up and hit a shot from the elbow or the free throw line. But he's still not like a elite scorer. So it's going to get like really hard to just find the production without Hayward and Lamelo and Monk all at once. Cause you're not, you're like as much as we like the Martin twins or McDaniels, or as much as I want to see Grant Riller, just get some minutes. Finally, like these guys, they're, they're not, they're not help. They're not picking up any production from losing Hayward. So no, it, it's going to be, it's going to be really, really hard to, to be, really any better than they were at their best point last year. This is basically the exact same team that we saw play last year. I think their rotation basically down to like the 10th guy is the exact same other than Brad Wanamaker, which is it like, is. And, and that, I that think group, yeah. that group, if you remember like towards the end of the season, James Brager said like, he, they, they finally thought they found their mojo, like defensively. A they're a top 10. Yeah. Yeah. They're a top 10 defensive team. They had that game in Miami just before the shutdown. Like, and I think, He's going to go back to like looking at that. How did we find success with this group of guys previously? It was by being a top 10 defense. Now, part of me does wonder, one of the first things I thought with this is, wow, like with the, now there's like lack of offense from your, your, your small forward position that there's going to be. Does this now mean that Biz has a smaller role because you're going to need more of a Cody Zeller, PJ Washington at five? because you're going to have to stretch out because you've got like Cody Martin and Biz playing together. I mean, it's just a spacing nightmare. I, I just don't see how that can survive for long stretches in the NBA. And it's going to be, it's going to be multiple games now. Um, so I wondered if, if this could mean a, a smaller role for Biz going forward and more PJ at five, more miles at four. That would be fun. And then you could see, you know, we're saying we're not getting, going to get a lot of production from a small forward position, Miles Bridges had 30 points against the Indiana Pacers. Devontae Graham got 30 points in that game as well. And Devontae Graham has led this actual team before the same roster you were just talking about before, Chase. Um, I'd love to see Miles Bridges also play. I think his future is the power forward spot, especially he's been he's been more consistent in the three-point uh, range later on in the season. And I think if he can hit that shot consistently, was what we're always asking for him and P.J., then that's a dangerous combo. Uh, the answer to any question is not more Bismack Biyombo. That's that's probably true, but I, I that's actually a good point. I like I l- think that Borrego will probably Don't act keep so him out surprised there. That it was a good point, Chase. No, no. For, I mean, I mean, like the the that Biz's role, Biz's role. Get it? Just you make good points all the time, Zach. I'm not surprised by that anymore. But yeah. With like, do you like, do you guys just, I feel like Borrego just like trusts Biz and likes Biz too much to just like yank him out 
without an injury to him personally or like or like adding a center because i feel like now he's like the problem with like Hayward, Hayward getting injured too is like you can't play go small quite as often because you need Miles to play the three unless you're gonna like commit to the uh, Martin twin being on the floor like pretty much all the time basically which wouldn't be like terrible but it could could get like bad especially on offense at certain times so I don't like the how the rotation changes in the next few games I think will be very interesting to watch but i don't i don't know how it will necessarily i, I think borrego will be reactive rather than proactive so if this team goes on like a three game four game skid i think that's when you could see him make a move i don't think he's going to be like well i know this is going to happen so i'm going to bench this now because right. like you say like coaches it's a lot easier to do something like that when you have a reason to do it when you're like dealing with players if you can say well we've lost four games in a row now and we've not scored over 110 points biz like this is the reason i want to bench you when you say like i don't think we're going to do well like that's that's hard for a player to get their head around so i i think it could happen but it just might take a little bit of time for some of those reasons to build up and it'll give the, the current team every chance to to go out there and and prove them like prove themselves yeah i don't think it's borrego's faith in bismack biambo i think it's his lack of faith in a player like nick richards i don't think yeah he's- he's ready for professional basketball play um and there are no other options well there are other options but i do think it's a mystery that biz keeps getting minutes i understand that you need height but the rebounding only improves incrementally when he's in the game it's kind of the same mystery that malik monk was on a milk carton for the first like quarter of the season um he has reasons and i bet they're inside the locker room you know yeah, and that's actually true because I think now, you know, obviously these guys aren't going to like carve out a rotation spot, but especially like now if somebody gets in foul trouble or like, God forbid, if somebody else gets injured, even like has to come out of the rest of the game, you pretty much have to put in Nick Richards, Vernon Carey, Nate Darling, Grant Riller. Like, you're, yeah, like, or yeah, like Caleb would probably be playing like almost 30 minutes a game at that point. Like, you're just, you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel here if anything else happens. So that, that will be something that I'm like really watching for is to see like in, in case of emergency rather than garbage time, like, cause garbage time, they're just getting put out there. Cause it's like, Oh, we're up or down by a lot of points. Like go have fun. But if they actually need, it's, that, it's like the last two minutes, it's not even yeah. like, yeah, it's really deep in garbage time. So. Yeah. Like, yeah. They don't even get like, Oh, we're up by 15 with a minute left. Like it's gotta be like a 20 or 20 point game, like either way. But yeah. like, I am very interested to see who, or if anyone gets off of the bench between like Jalen McDaniels, Richards, Darling, Carey mm-hmm. and Riller in case of emergency, because then it's like, we need you. Like we need to, we need someone to rely on. So Brago's going to put in the guy that he can rely on, like no matter what honestly no matter what position he plays no matter what skill set he has he's just going to put in the guy I think that he feels the most confident in that won't go out and like mess up and like I think that is going to be it's going to be telling who he thinks that is what if that situation arises I'd imagine it's Nick Richards at this point but I don't I don't know because McDaniels has been buried on the bench for him well I I think he's a forgotten guy here McDaniels because he can play some three I know he's maybe more of a four but like, he's somebody who can stretch the floor. He's pretty good defensively. He moves his feet well. He's not that strong. And when he plays power forward, he can get taken advantage of at times. But he's he's a disruptive defender. Like he, I think he's the guy. You know, I could see him and Miles Bridges, like, playing a 3-4 hybrid where it doesn't really matter who's who. It's kind of a similar role for both. And I wouldn't, like, I think Cody Martin will get first shot at the start. I think that makes sense. Who backs up Cody Martin? You could get some Miles Bridges. I'd love to see Jalen McDaniels get a chance um, because when he uh, when he's got the opportunity last year, he was part of that kind of top ten defense run. He'd broken into the rotation, was playing well. It, it was more of a big than a wing, uh, but he has uh, he actually really likes going off the dribble and attacking, kind of that like more wing style. He's not all that efficient at it. It hasn't pro- proven so yet, but I, I think he could be the forgotten guy here. I think a lot of people are going to be looking at Caleb Martin. I think he's played actually so poorly when he's got opportunities recently that he could be more buried than, than Jalen McDaniels, even though he's not played at all. They were playing the um, uh, Lakers and Caleb was in the game 
and uh, Aldridge was backing him up, and you could see Aldridge's face just being like, who is this person that I'm just going to destroy in the blog right now? <laughs> um, the McDaniels thing, there are some commenters on atthehive.com who think that McDaniels should have been starting four months ago over Cody Zeller. There, there are people who love McDaniels, and I love McDaniels' game, but there's a reason, like, there. I don't know why these players don't get more time, and I wonder if it's because they just don't have the faith of the coaching staff. They don't fit into the style that Borrego wants to play. There's something that they can't do um, that doesn't fit in the Borrego system. And I keep wondering why they are not getting minutes. And someone like Caleb, something, someone like Cody, and Cody has had his moments, but we're being very deferential with the Martin twins just because we're Hornets fans. Uh, you just have to take a moment and think like 10 years down the road, you're going to be at some trivia night and they're going to be like, who were the twins in the 2021 on the 2021 Charlotte Hornets team? Why were they on the team? Why was Caleb Martin on this team? Like, why didn't they have an extra backup big? You know, anyone? I don't know. It's just ridiculous. Crazy to think about. Yeah. And like these, yeah, these guys are all going to play like extremely important roles now too. And honestly, that is a good point about, um, McDaniels making like not he probably just doesn't have the trust of the coaching staff I don't think like he turns the ball over like kind of a lot for for how much he has it in his hands basically Mm -hmm. and I think like NBA coaches for like a young player that's coming in the game and that isn't like a like a franchise level player or like a lottery pick or something the the very first thing and like the easiest thing to get you taken out of the game or out of the rotation is turning the ball over. Yeah. Like you can, obviously you can miss shots. Like no coach, good coaches aren't going to penalize someone for missing shots unless they do it for a year consecutively. Bad defense is, you know, you can learn to play bad defense, but turning the ball over like directly results in points for the other team a lot of the time. So you just can't have that on the floor. I think that's most of, if not all of the reason, because, even I like the Martin twins. I like not as much as a lot of Hornets fans who like would probably probably feel the same way about like McDaniels. Some people they'd start like Cody Martin in a heartbeat, but I've always thought McDaniels should be getting minutes over them just because of like pure upside, especially now, because like James said, he can actually play like multiple positions, especially defensively. He can guard like two, three, four. He's pretty quick. He's, he's obviously not strong at all. So he can rebound. Yeah. He can, he's long. He's super long is he can rebound. He can handle the ball for how tall he is too, which is an advantage. He can score off the, like he has a lot of tools like that could result in something someday, but he just hasn't been getting the proper minutes with the Hornets to actually build upon them and realize that. But I hope he does now. This could be his opportunity. In, in, la- in the Pacers game, he got one minute and 16 seconds. Like, they just don't give him a lot of minutes to even, like, work on the game or work to get into the flow. James, you uh, asked us before, do you think that the Hornets can stay out of the, the play-in game or, you know, God forbid, make the playoffs? Um, where did you fall down on that? Do you think that they can stay out of the play-in game, maybe get that fifth-ish seed? I, I think most likely now they fall down to seven or eight. Um, like the, the top side of the play-on game. I, I still think just the fight this team has and the spirit um, and the depth that the team does have and the fact that LaMelo might be back and Monk might be back, um, I, I think they could just stave off falling into that 9-10 area. But I think that, that wish of like a first, like straight to the first round series, I just think that's, I think that's out the window. Four, five, six, you can say goodbye. The Hawks are surging. The Celtics are probably going to likely going to surge now. Uh, the Heat are going to surge past. I, th- I think those teams will go past, and Charlotte will be left fighting with the, the Knicks and, and the other guys around there. Yeah, uh, there is no chance they make the, the like above a playing game. Or yeah, like the the Nick, like those teams that you just mentioned, are t- like just too good. Like they have t- the Hornets without Monk, Ball, and Hayward, like just don't have enough talent to be a top six seven team plus indiana is ninth and they're three and a half games back of the hornets after beating them last night like so before so if the hornets had lost that game a they would not be in fourth they'd be in fifth i believe and then the pacers would be even closer so the amount of games separating the hornets from being fourth and being like the one of the second to last team in the play-in tournament 
is like a three game losing streak, which, you know, given the situation they're in right now, like if they go on a three game losing streak, just Boston, OKC and Milwaukee, like we can't really blame them. Like that's, those are tough games to play minus three really good offensive players. And, and Charlotte would be a scary, like ninth for 10th seed, like in the playing yeah, game, for if sure. they had everyone back, like you yes. can bet, like we would probably be like favorite in that game if we were, you know, playing the Knicks or something like that. Um, we, we could be a scary, and like it could not be the worst thing, you know, to, to go down, load the expectations a little bit. You're not having to kind of look down, but you're more looking up at the upset that you could take rather than being on the other half of that. I, I do think one big benefit of all this is we're about to get a really good look at the depth of the, the kind of back end of this roster, which, you know, when they don't play, you don't know how these guys are going to be, but we're about to get extended looks at Cody Martin, uh, probably a, a more extended look at Miles Bridges with more playing time, more maybe McDaniels, more maybe Caleb Martin time. I think all these things are going to be really useful, more Devontae Graham to like looking forward. We're going to have a sample size of two to four weeks where we can look at and go, okay, when these guys got legitimate like playing time, how did they look? And I think that could be really useful trying to figure out what Charlotte have got going forward. Miles is start. Miles is going to start on this team, right? With I don't him. think so. Uh, I, I, would, I don't know. I would probably say, yeah, I would say Cody Martin might at the beginning, just so Miles can play the four coming off the bench. And like, think about it. If you have Miles starting, you have nothing coming off the bench for offense. Like, at like not even like miles is a good offensive player he's not a shot creator so like if you're taking his, grant Rilla chase it's, see <laughs> that's the thing is i i would play grant Riller like 14 minutes a game right now i know you would that's that's a shot creator i'll show you, you a would. guy that can get to the basket create some rim pressure make it a little easier for terry rozier and Devonte graham he's sitting right on the bench and he played he was the bet one of the best players on the greensboro swarm in the g league bubble but he doesn't, even get, about, he doesn't even get in for garbage it's, time it, chase. it disgusts me it disgusts me he was he was he was active like multiple times uh there was one time i saw Vernon wearing a like a polo t-shirt so I was like all right it's Grant Rowe's <laughs> night baby this is this is it he's coming in and he didn't and it's it, like it's it, he had like I, I I I know obviously I don't know anything uh like I'm, I'm quick to admit that I know nothing so he probably isn't healthy there's I'm sure that there's a reason he's not playing especially if it's garbage time like I don't know why you would just single him out like that and be like no screw you you get to watch every single time but man I really really want him to play like he is at least good at offense and that is what they need right now like his ball handling playmaking shooting like finishing at the rim that's kind of what they need not that he's super elite at any of it but like you might as well give it a shot because you got him at 56 and he was regarded as a first round talent by some like draft outlets so Give Jason it a shot. Has talked longer than he will get minutes in an NBA. Game. Probably, probably, <laughs> and it really upsets me. And I will, I will talk for twice as long if that's what it takes for for him to get some minutes. But it, I, it's I, that's true as well about uh, what James said about the back end of the roster, just as a whole, because pretty much all of those guys, uh, except for Darling, Riller, uh, Richards, and Carey, are free agents this offseason like mcdaniels can have his contract voided uh the martin twins both have team options i believe this summer so whether or not they are members of the hornets next season is probably going to be determined in the next two to four weeks so that will be interesting to watch uh we're going to wind into our ad break here and we will see you guys on the other side for a discussion about whether or not hayward or terry rozier were the was the hornets best player prior to Hayward's injury, and then we'll talk about Devontae Graham's reemergence. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Priceline. 
And welcome back to At The Hive Live. We are here still with James. I'm still Chase, and we are still here with Zach in the second half of the show. Do you guys want to lead off with the Hayward-Rosier discussion, or should we get the Devontae Graham discussion out of the way first? James, please regale us. I, I really, I can't wait to hear about this. We've been hearing about a stat for a solid 30 minutes now. I got to hear, hear what this thing is. Okay, so the, the topic being, who is the better Charlotte Hornet right now? Terry and Gordon Hayward. That, that was the topic discussion. And while we're prepping for the pod, I decided to go old school, all right? And I looked at PER, okay? Ooh. Player efficiency rating, John Hollinger, shout out. <laughs> right now, Terrace's player efficiency rating, 19.86, okay? Anything over 15 is, 15 is like bang average NBA player, right? Anything over 20 is like, like high 20s is all-star, like good all-star. So Terrace in 19.86, 77th in the NBA. Gordon Hayward, 19.86, tied Ooh, wow. 77th in PER in the NBA. So John Hollinger says... They are literally to the 10th decimal point as good as each other. And that is my stat right there. So, that was a great stat. That was yeah. amazing. Because they're not carbon copies of each other. They don't really play a lot of the same game. Um, Chase, you were talking about how you know, the, the stuff that Hayward does to make other players better. Hayward is simultaneously a star player, but also a glue guy. Also mm-hmm. a guy that does the stuff that needs to be done on the court. Um, that's awesome that they, that they have the same PER. I, I don't know really what that means. I think that it means that they mean the same to the team, that there, were, there are games that we would not win without Hayward. There's games that we would not win without Terry. Um, that's crazy. Great stuff. Yeah, I think PER traditionally, it does have defensive metrics in it, but it's a better – it's a better representation of like defensive players value really than defensively. Um, I think for me, they probably are kind of tied in offense, Like especially I feel like Haywood's left a lot on the table. Like the m- number of like layups or open shots he missed this year has been a lot more than Terry's, but that's a skill within itself. I do think defensively is where I think Haywood probably offers that little bit more value. I talked about earlier, like seven rebounds per game, like on this Charlotte team, that's huge. He's a little bit better of a creator, but like defensively, he's defending like the best threes in the league every single night. And it's actually like his last few games before the injury, it's a real shame. Um, he's been really good on the back line, like kind of uh, get, getting steals, getting out and running. Um, I've been really impressed with him defensively recently. He's been a really good like help defender. Um, and you just don't see that same kind of thing from Terry's ear. So I, th- I think I give Gordon the edge, but man, it is... I mean, if you'd have asked this question like three years ago when they were from the Celtics, you'd have been like, what on earth? Why are you even asking the question? And now it's, it's generally a debate. That's the best part to me is that like, especially a couple of years ago, like this would have just been an absurd thing to discuss. But even like at the like beginning of the season, like going into opening night, like if you ask pretty much any Hornets fan, who's the best player on this team, they would have said Hayward probably. But like, and I uh, count myself as one of the Terry Rozier's biggest fans in the world. I think he probably has overtaken him, like even looking at it objectively now, just because of his reliability on offense is like, is just so much more like consistent than Hayward's is. Hayward is like a very good player, very good scorer, but he's like, he's passive. He, uh, cause that's part of him being like a team friendly glue guy. Like every guy like that is unselfish and like will make the right play 10 times out of 10. If it means, even if it means like passing up on a shot for themselves, but that Hayward is that to like almost to a fault because of how good he actually is. Like if he were less talented, it wouldn't be as much of a problem, but there have been games where he just is like invisible, like, either down the stretch or for the entire game, like over the last few months, his points per game has dropped like considerably. Uh, it's, it's below 20 on the year now, but I think in the month of February, he only averaged or February and March, he only averaged like 18 points per game or 17. So it has kind of steadily trickled off 
And while that's also while Terry Rozier's offense has steadily risen to being to the point of being named player of the week in the Eastern conference last week, Hayward's definitely a better defender. Like, like no questions asked, especially off ball, but I don't know. Terry's just a really such a good offensive player that has done so much for the Hornets that it's hard to make the argument that he's not their best overall player right now, especially right now, but over the whole season too. I think my argument goes, and and we touched on it earlier with that Hayward injury, like you cannot guard Gordon Hayward as a smaller guy because he buries you in the post and he scores on you. And we've seen that in like certain games. Like if Terry Rozier was the focal point, I, I don't know if Terry can like take advantage of you in the same way. Um, and I, I think Gordon can hurt you in so many different ways. Whereas Terry Rozier, yes, he's helped with the mid range and the scoring the rims got better. But if he's not hitting his threes, he's like not going to be a, a good, efficient scorer on the night. And he's very reliant on that one skill. Um, and I think when he goes to the top of that scouting report and he's focused on now, I mean, we're going to see if Terry can like carry this team and score like 24, 25 points a game in like a month's time and like keep this team somewhat respectable. Chase, I'll be right there with you. I will be there saying, you know what? Terry can carry him. Like he can surround him with however many Martin twins you want and he'll he'll carry this team. And he can make space. I've seen him make space with larger defenders. Terry Rozier um, can get to the rim. And the way that he can find a, a way to get up a shot even when someone the defender is totally in his face in the uh, with a corner three is um, is amazing terry uh, uh gordon hayward was uh, playing the indian pacers and was struggling he was uh down from the field he wasn't making shots he shot this one foul shot and you could see him physically react to missing that shot because he wants he's actively trying to be a leader actively trying to be good terry rozier forgets about the shots that he misses. He's only thinking about the next shot that he's going to hit. Almost a a quarterback mentality in that way. I think he can lead this team. And you're right, James, the tale is going to be in the pudding. We're going to see what will happen over the next four weeks that to see if Terry can actually carry this team consistently. Because although I want Terry with the ball in crunch time of a game, like for a playoff series, for a seven-game series, I would trust Gordon Hayward more than Terry Rozier, if that makes sense. I trust uh, Hayward's consistency, but if I want someone to score a bucket, I'm asking Terry Rozier to do that. They 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 approach basketball in two different ways. And how much how much do you put on this? Like the best ability is availability. You hear that right? Gordon yeah. Hayward has not been an available player. Like. Terry Rozier has played 46 games this year. Like, he has been there most nights. Last year, he played 63 in a shortened season. Um, he's been remarkably durable. And the, the way he plays, he, he doesn't really... He does everything he can to avoid contact, Terry. Like, with every move, it's about creating separation. Whereas Gordon is much more about, oh, seeking the contact, trying to create that contact, draw the fouls. Um he is available. He's, he's always there and you can rely on him. And I think that's, that's always a very hard thing to quantify, you know, availability. But it's something that we've seen over the last two years. There's no question. Terry's ear is more likely to play more games for your team than Gordon Hayward. And he wants to take the shot. He wants to be the person with the ball. That's, you need that, especially in a team who's doesn't have LaMelo Ball, doesn't have Gordon Hayward, doesn't have Malik Monk, who always wants the shot too, but just generally doesn't make it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like I think the the clutch shooting is like a pretty strong argument in Terry's favor. Not that Hayward is like bad at it because he is a decent clutch shooter, and like, but it's more so like not late game clutch. It's like second quarter, other team is going on a run. Hornets were up by eight now they're up by two we got to give Hayward the ball so he can work himself into the mid-range draw a foul of some sort you know get one of these old man buckets that he always seems to like getting in that like six to eight foot area just like dropping his shoulder into somebody but I think like in the end of the game it's that especially now but even like towards the beginning of the year it became clear like pretty early on that like if you're going to give the ball to a guy like we need you to make the shot to either put the game away or to help us come back. Like it probably is Terry. And like, 
rarely like think about how many teams in the NBA that guy isn't the team's best player. Like there really aren't that yeah. many. They're that's like a great I, point. maybe that's like point. maybe Denver with Jamal Murray. Like yeah. that's that's really the only one I can think of. Like I, I've not obviously not I rattled through my brain. I can't think of anything. So like not 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 that that's like a com, like a convincing or the tell all argument, but like I think it does help Terry's case a lot. That's like okay, not only like are like, like you co- is the go-to offensive player yeah that yeah that's true but it's like ad is like so goddamn good it's like any other team in the nba he'd be the best player so it's like it's almost like but and and then it's like terry is just so reliable and at, at, at the end of the game that it almost makes it like like he went against the pacers he went six for 23 like that dude was getting shots up no matter whether he was going to get find himself back to being hot or not. Like they went up and that's all that matters right after yep. they go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's I think like a lot get used to those 23 shot attempts per game for the next yep. couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. That, and that works for me, honestly, because like he has the mentality to be like, yeah, like he may, he may not be like talented enough to shoot the Hornets out of, or into the game every time, but he's certainly going to try. And like, you know, Hayward, as much as he's really, really good and I really like him, he's not going to try that. And, like, in this situation right now, if it were reversed, like, I might have, like, a slightly worse outlook on, like, what the Hornets record would be in the coming weeks. That's interesting. Yeah. Not like – It was Terry who got injured. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Because mm-hmm. Hayward is much less likely to be like, all right, I got to put this team Let on my back. Right. right. Like, I got to shoot 25 times tonight if this team is even going to have a chance, which is like, again, like none of this is a knock on, on him, like at all. Like he plays his game the way that he likes to play and the way he's always played. And he has signed two max contracts as a result of that. So no, no qualms with me as to what he does, but I think Terry is like the way that he is just like leaned on probably makes him the guy on this team. I think the yeah, roster maker that's still there is, and I know we'll get to it later, but I just want to make sure that the listeners know we know Devonte Graham is there. And oh yeah, part of the offense as well. Go ahead. Yeah, James. I think Sorry. the makeup of this roster, I I would still think Hayward hurts more, just because behind him you've got like a bit of a hole, whereas behind Terrazier you would have Malik Monk theoretically. I know Malik Monk isn't here right now, but right, and and I think he can give you. I don't know what, 60%, 70% of, of Terry Rozier. Um, it, uh, interesting stats for you. Some more hit were here. In the clutch, Terry Rozier is shooting 52% from three, which uh, that's that's good, folks. That's a high number. Um, on <laughs> 1.2 attempts like per game in clutch time. Steph Curry, pretty good shooter, that guy. 48% on the exact same number of attempts per game. So he's literally shooting better than Steph Curry. Uh, in clutch time this season by four percentage points, which is which is nuts. Yeah, that's certifiably insane. I can't, I can't I can't believe that. The overall field goal percentage in the clutch is like sixty three and a half, something like that. That it's his numbers are crazy in the clutch. Yeah, yeah, his effective field goal percentage in clutch time uh, per in predictable, which I believe they qualify clutch time as like the last five minutes of a game that is within five points. He is, his effective field goal percentage is 60.8%. Like you got to like it. Yeah. Like there's just, there's like no words. You can't even put it into words with like how good he has been in comparison to like how people viewed him two years ago as a player. And after he signed that contract, like if you told people like, Hey, you signed this guy, to $56 million a year and he's going to, you know, make Steph Curry be the second best clutch shooter from beyond the arc in the NBA. Like nobody, not a single person in the universe would have guessed that two years ago when they signed Terry. And these players are coming back. They're not gone for the season. They're coming back. There's going to be this whole like up from the ashes Phoenix situation last seven games of the season. You know what I mean? It's going to put us right over the edge of the play of the play in game. We're going to get the, that kind of six seed area and we're going to be scrappy. It's going to be amazing. Just don't play the nets ever. Again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. We just got to, yeah, we got to stay right in that sweet spot, but I'm glad you brought up uh, Devonte Graham a few seconds ago. Cause that's a perfect segue right into the 
second half of this uh, this show right here because I wanted to talk about him. He's been better lately. Like I think that's just the the, the easiest way to put it. He's just been better. Uh, his playmaking is better. He now that Lamelo has been out, he's been a more present uh, offensive player. Uh, he's his defense has actually like he's never been bad at it, but I actually think he's been like noticeably pretty good on defense in the last yeah, sure. few games. I think. Am I thinking of the Phoenix? Uh, yeah, I think it is a Phoenix game where he played like really, really well on defense against uh, like Paul or Chris Paul and Devin Booker. But overlay overall, he's just been way better. I, I'd be interested to get you guys' thoughts on that. James, you want to go first? Yeah. So Devonta Graham since. Um... Since Lamella ball injury, 17 points per game, three rebounds, four assists, one and a half steals per game. Like you met, he's been really active on the defensive end, playing some really good defense, getting some really good strips. 40% from three. So that, that efficiency drop we saw at the start of the year really seems to have gone. Still only 41% from the field. Like I think that's just going to be Devonta Graham's career. He's never going to be like a, a, a plus 45% like, uh, from the field, uh, including the threes, I just I just can't see it. And that's sneakily shooting a hundred percent on free throws. Not missed a free throw at three attempts per game since the Clippers game. So he's he's definitely upped his game. We, we're seeing last year's Devonte um, again. I think he'll handle the ball a little bit more. I reckon now, especially with Hayward out. So like this four assists a game seems a bit low. I, I think you can expect that to jump up to kind of close to that six mark. It's like you said, it's going to be the same roster that was last year. And I am, look, it's great to see Devontae back. It's good. We're going to get to see him again from a standpoint. Do we want to resign this guy in the summer? We're going to get a good sample size. We'll hopefully get him with Lamelo. That's one thing that if Lamelo does come back with Hayward being out for so long, you could get that Lamelo, Devontae, Terry lineup again, which they started, they wanted to obviously look at more. So a lot of interesting things with Devontae. He hit some. Was, was it the Phoenix game where he just went off for like nine threes or he just went absolutely insane? It was like some of the tough shots he's been making. He's been great. So it's been great to see Devontae Graham get back up and running, finding, play, probably playing his best basketball of the season. He has that up his sleeve. He has the nine threes in a game up his sleeve. He has the ability to take over plays and hit big shots. Earlier in the season before the injury, it looked like he really didn't know where he belonged on the team. You were speaking earlier, Chase, about how this is the roster from last year. Well, that was Devontae Graham's team. That was He was the leader of that team. Terry certainly uh, uh, participated in that team, was a big piece in that team. But that was Devontae Graham's team. And he went from a kind of afterthought in his first year to someone who was like, there were people offering large amounts of draft capital to trade for Devonte Graham last year. So we could see that type of Devonte Graham in this next four weeks to five weeks. And as you know, as much as we talk about how we need Terry Rozier to do that, as much as we talk about how we need miles bridges to step up, Devonte Graham has to really find his flow has to really be able to do what he did last year, which is take the reins of the offense, find space, even in those, that small kind of area where the, the three point line, right. isn't there yet, but he can do that kind of loop around the big seven footer to, to get the layup. He has to find that offensive game again, because there's no one there to bail, bail him out. And we need him to become the leader, leader that he was last year. And I think that, there's actually a good chance that that happens because I know, and I know James was talking about this, but in the last seven games, which is the amount of games that they've played uh, while at the time of recording this, since Lamelo has gotten injured, he's averaging 16.9 points, which is three points better than 13.9 for the whole season, shooting 40.6% on nine three point attempts per game, which I believe is the exact number of attempts he averaged last year from three per game. So it seems as if his role on offense is slowly transforming to something more, not the same, obviously, because it's just a different team and you know, you can't, it's not, it's not the same. And especially in how weird of a year this season's been with the pandemic, but kind of is the same now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that that's true. It's, it's you're very split in teeth over how much, how much different this team is than last year with all the 
injuries that they've had, or I said splitting teeth, splitting hairs. No, I'm definitely going to say splitting teeth for uh, teeth. pulling, pulling <laughs> teeth, splitting hairs. Splitting teeth would be a very difficult proposition, but <laughs> if any, hey, if anyone's going to make it work, it's me. <laughs> but I got some, uh, I've been waiting to pull this out. I feel like periodically on Twitter, I've just been kind of tweeting out like a good Devontae Graham stat every now and again, but I have, a, this might be, have to be a, like a periodical segment of mine. I have some Devontae Graham stat propaganda that I'm going to lay on everybody right here. So I got five, five, yes, a huge <laughs> shout out to Jonathan. I know he'll appreciate this. I'm doing this. Hey, in honor. We will defend Devontae Graham to the death. If anybody will do it, it will be me and Jonathan DeLong on at the hive.com. But I have five unique statistics that all show how good Devonte Graham has been over the entire season, not just in the last seven games or, or in the last month when he's picked it up over the whole season to start Devonte Graham is shooting 31.8% on pull-up threes at three attempts per game, which even without the attempts threshold, that is a top 30 percentage in the league, which is nothing spectacular, but being in the top 30 pull-up shooters shows that you have gravity as a shooter on offense and defenses have to respect you regardless of whether or not the shot is going in at that specific time, because you can always make the next one. And we've seen that with Devante with how good he's been in the clutch, which leads perfectly into my next statistic. I didn't even have that segue written down, but I'm going to roll with it. And Devante, we mentioned Terry's clutch EFG his effective field goal percentage is 60.8. Well, Devante's is 59.6. So letting the side down there. (laughs) Yeah, he is very, very close. To what Terry Terry does in the uh, in the in clutch time, the, his production is not very far off. The attempts are slightly lower in, in total, just because Terry's been that guy <clears throat> all season. But Devontae's right there in terms of clutch time efficiency, and we saw that in the Phoenix game as well. When, uh, like James said, when he had thirty points, I think he had seven threes in that game. But another one among players that have played twenty games with a usage percentage higher than twenty. Devontae Graham is fourth in assist-to-turnover ratio at 3.38 behind DeMar DeRozan, Chris Paul, and C.J. McCollum. All very, very good players, very good playmakers, especially CP3 and C.J. So, And that 3.38 is generally a just a very high assist-to-turnover ratio, which is something that he's always been good at since he got a big role in Charlotte. He's never been someone that turns the ball over a lot, and he's a good playmaker. His on and off that's rating is still very good. Yeah, that's that? surprising too because there are moments that in my head that that where I see Devonte like kind of dribble into the defense, try to pass out of the defense, and it become a turnover. And usually it's a turnover to score, so that means you just remember it more because it was a, a big play, something like that. But it's, it's surprising that he has that high of a, a percentage with assists and turnovers, just just because when I imagine him making those turnovers they're larger turnovers that really affect the game um those are great stats though i wonder what he's going to be able to do kind of in the same terry situation where it's all on him again and there's you know cody martin is probably never going to be like a dynamic offensive piece for him and he'll have to find rhythm he'll have to find flow with miles and pj that's the other two parts of this that we haven't discussed enough. It's just Miles and PJ are going to have to become a, like 10% better than what they have been. Um, Devontae is going to be a huge part of this team, and it'll be interesting to see in the offseason between Malik and Devontae where this team is going in the future and if he'll be a major part of it. Anyway, this, keep going, keep keep rolling, Chase. I know you're only on point three there, I think. So you got. Two oh yeah, more. oh yeah. I got I got two more if you guys are ready for them. So the so what we've talked about this. I mean, I know John has talked about it. I have talked about it. John's written a really good article about it as well that anybody should go read about Devonte Graham's on and off rating, which certainly not a catch all stat. It doesn't you know if your on off rating is good, that doesn't mean you're good. If it's bad, that doesn't mean you're bad. But over such a large sample size that Devonte have Devonte has had with a playing a lot of big minutes on the Hornets, it definitely means something. His on and off rating is in the 88th percentile, which is of plus 8.6, which means the Hornets outscore their opponent by 8.6 points per 100 possessions with Devonte on the floor. So they're generally just a better team when he is out there, regardless of whether or not he 
is hitting his shots. And certainly that doesn't, you know, that's not the case every night. He has, has, he has bad nights where it's detrimental to the team, but more often than not, his bad nights don't really hurt you. And lastly, this one that I thought was very interesting is Devante's, uh, is this stat called Raptor, which is used by 538, a, uh, analytics or sports analytics website or not sports, but just general analytics website. They Raptor is a basically like just an overall encompassing stat for like how good a player is. Uh, it, it, I don't know how the, what the mathematical formula for this is. I would never be able to understand something like that because I'm not a math guy, but on an overall Raptor uh, Devante's def- or, oh, a defensive Raptor is the best on the Hornets. So, According to 538, Devante is the best defender on the Hornets. I don't it's, necessarily. It's, all the, it's in all the advanced defensive stats. Yeah. Devante is like off the scale. And yeah. it, it, in the first part of the year, I remember like all the stats suggested Devonte Graham was a great defender and Terry Zero was a bad one. And I, I remember watching the games being like, why can my eyes and head not see what like the stats are telling me? But in this last stretch, I've seen it. Like I've seen Devonte Graham like making really heady plays time and time again um, and disruptive plays, plays that end up with the Hornets like getting out and transition scoring. So it's not just that they're stopping someone, but they're then getting out and creating offense from it. So I think he's so underrated on that end because he's a, he's a small guard. He's not that quick. He's not that athletic. So people just assume he's going to be a bad defender, but he, he really isn't. He's really got a knack for being in the right place at the right time. Um, disrupting players. I, I've been really impressed with Devontae Graham's defense. Probably been one of the most underrated aspects of his game, I'd say, this season. Definitely. And I think this is like a super small thing that I noticed during one of the like previous games. His hands are like always in the right spot. Like he never, he's never like touching, like touching anybody, like getting a foul. He basically never gets those like, like cheap region fouls. But when the player that he is guarding like has the, is like waving the ball around, like going for like a rip through, like, you know, holding it above their head, trying to pass it. He like always has his hands in the way and is just like bothering people. And like you said, as someone that's not athletic, quick, strong, tall, definitely he's six one and he has a long wingspan, but like, you're still six one. Like that's even if you have a long wingspan, it's only goes so far. Like he is just good he like and I, I, he's just a very smart basketball player on both ends of the floor it shows up a lot more on offense and defense is just harder for 6-1 player players than it is for anybody else specifically because of how short you are the a lot of players are tall in the nba so you have to be an exceptional a defender. lot of players are tall in the nba yeah, I don't. I don't mean to break any news oh, here. No. I, this is not a report. This do not aggregate this. There, are, there might not be a lot of tall players in the NBA. I haven't checked lately, but, but I'm just going to. I'm assuming around those giants, all of yeah. them, and knows how to handle them. Um, he's he's gone up against larger people, and it he learned a little bit from a man, Kemba Walker, uh, being behind him for that one year. How to find that space? How to how to do those like on balance step backs a lot of a lot of players you see do these kind of step backs where they're pushing off of the shot gets off on one foot he's he can he can step back and reset and shoot a three-pointer it's great to see and so we have terry we have Devonte, and you guys still are like washing us out of the playoffs it's sad really you know? so i'm interested so there's let, let's say there's 17 games without haywood um what do you guys think the record will be? And I, I've cheated here, so I'll go first because I've had a little look through the schedule. So I'll, I'll fill some time here while you guys look. I've looked through at the 17 games, assuming Malik comes back after two weeks. I've got us going like five and 11, which is like not disaster. It's not 500 basketball. It's like the most Hornetsy record. Five out of 11 feels like what we normally do in an average Hornets year. And, and that would leave us at I think like 30 and 34 at the end of that spell, um, what, what, yeah, what are your thoughts? Hopefully you've had enough time to look there. What's your record predictions over that next four-week spell? You go first, Zach. I'm still I'm perusing right now. Yeah, I was perusing too. I know the last 10 games of the season, 
I thought were going to be easier games, but because of some of the trades that the Bulls uh, pulled off. 17 games, you said, James? Yeah, next 17 games. That's four weeks, assuming right. Hayward's back. I'd probably go seven and 10. I think they do play a lot of good teams here. Like I'm looking at like, yeah, Milwaukee, Boston, Brooklyn, Portland. uh, San Antonio is going to beat this team. Um, Yeah. mm, mm, Like they play. Yeah. Brooklyn, Miami. Eight and nine. I mean, if, if we can like, so if we go somewhere between, Right, Zach's eight and nine, and mine five and eleven. Like, I think that's success. Like you're just playing like just like kind of not awful basketball, but you're able to pick up enough wins. I think you're going to be in that playoff picture. But it's it's going to be an interesting next few weeks. I think it's going to be frustrating one because there's going to be a lot of games where you felt, God, if we if we just had one of like Lamelo Monk or Hayward back, we'd win. And we just we're missing that bit of oomph because if. I mean, if anyone else goes down, God forbid, like, if anyone else goes down, oh, that would be painful. But let's just got to hope that Terry and Devontae, I think as long as those two are there, they can be, like, high-volume guys. They showed it last year. Um, they, they can hopefully carry us to at least a semi-respectable record. Yeah, I think anything, like, and even if they won, like, if Hayward misses exactly 17 games, I think that the Hornets fan base generally should be not super upset if they win, even if they end up with five wins in that time period, anything more than that would probably be just be a success given the amount of talent they've lost. And like, even if you look, if you go all the way back to December and like the first half of the season and just look through the entire schedule, like this might just be the toughest stretch, like in general, like this team that like their play, even going back a few games, like to in the month of, okay, so from March 28th to the end of April, they play Phoenix, Brooklyn, Indiana, Boston, Milwaukee, Atlanta, Los Angeles, Brooklyn, Portland, New York, Boston, Milwaukee, and Boston. Like that's a, that's a lot of good teams in barely over a month. Like that's, that's tough with everybody. And just given the traveling and pandemic restrictions and stuff, you lose three of your five best players or three of your six, seven, I don't know, however, whatever best players, like that just makes life so, so hard. And any of those games that are a back-to-back, basically, like no matter who they're against, like those are almost like like schedule losses, like what, what how people refer to those. Like yeah. it doesn't matter who you're playing. Like if Terry and Devontae and PJ are gassed, like that next night, like you might just lose no matter what. No, For sure. The, the last – go on. Go on, Zach. There are winnable games on here, too. I mean, OKC is a That's winnable true. game. Atlanta is a winnable game. Cleveland is a winnable game. Um, New York is is playing better, but they're still not a good team. Um, there are winnable games on this schedule. Um, again, we've weathered injuries before. I have just gotten hyped about this season, to be totally honest with you. Uh, I was talking about the second round of the playoffs, which we haven't seen in forever. Um, and this... Gordon Hayward injury that I just walked into on this podcast, by the way, and I blame at the Hive Live for the Gordon Hayward. <laughs> put that on the record. I'll um, take that blame, honestly. But I That's think we can weather these injuries, and I think again, like a phoenix, we shall rise. Well, last ten games, I think that's what you're going to be looking at. If you're looking for positives, last ten games: Detroit, Miami, Detroit, Chicago, Orlando, New Orleans, Denver, LA, New York, Washington. Like that's where you make your your seven and three run, you know, to kind of close out the season. So if you can get like Monk, LaMelo back for that run, maybe Hayward as well, like that could really breathe some life into the team for the next, for that last 10 games. I I think that's the big target there. Hopefully you can finish that season that strong. Totally agree. In LA, Kawhi's not playing the third last game of the season. Um, You know, they're going to be well into the playoffs and they're going to rest him. New Orleans is probably, what do you think? The, maybe right at the tail end of the Western conference playoffs, Zion might not be playing in that game. I think there's a, there's a chance we could go on a winning streak. Like you said, James, with our players back, which would be amazing. That would be huge. If they could come off that, uh, like this, this big stretch where they're going to be without those three guys. And then, you know, you assume you have Monk back by then. And then hopefully Hayward's able to come back, being able to round out the season with 
like mostly under 500 teams like that. Actually, I hadn't scrolled that far down, but that might be a, like a saving grace for them because. Oh, buddy, you got to scroll down. The yeah, I, 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 I got to keep I got to keep scrolling. I got to read the whole article here instead of just uh, looking at the headline. But what he <laughs> like if they are still like top nine or something when that happens, like when they come back, I would be pretty confident that they end up yeah. playing. I don't yeah. think that. The, and if but if they fall below the play in threshold when that happens, like we might be we might be getting into into trouble here because at that point it's like okay do you even bother like bringing pe- people back like that it's it's going to be there are just so it's it sucks because this year was so open. fun it was so awesome we were basically just going to be like okay we're going to be 4 5 6 7 seed in the playoffs and we're going to play a first round series probably and now that has just there are so many, like like you just said, Zach. They, this is a completely open ended season. Like there are so many different routes that this could go. They could stay exactly where they are and be resilient, like they've been all season. They could drop like one or two spots and be like, "Oh, that wasn't as bad as we expected." They could do exactly what we expect and drop like a little bit down the standings. They could be way worse than we expect and end up with, with like a top eight pick or something. Like there's just so so many different things that could happen that we have to account for that we did not have to account for like two weeks ago when LaMelo was still playing Monk and Hayward were still healthy, but you know, we're Hornets fans. We've been, we've been through uh, some tougher, much tougher times than injuries. So the one thing, the one thing I do know is fans are going to have to listen to the hive live to stay up to date with all this. I mean, that's completely true. And they're going to have to read, have to read at the hive.com. It's the only way there's so much that can happen. So um, I mean, it's a real problem that we're going to have to have all these readers coming for content. It's just going to be tough. Uh, it's ter- It's terrible. They, I mean, they, they, they're one way to make me miserable by coming to <laughs> at the hive.com and, and reading every single article that has any of our names on it from start to finish that, that if, you, if anybody listening to this podcast doesn't like me, go, go to at the hive.com and read everything. You'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll piss me off right away. Yeah. Tell, tell me about it. Tell them how much I don't like you. Yeah. Yeah. If, and if you don't, if you don't like anything, re- leave a review on the podcast five stars. So it shows up right at the top, but write whatever you want underneath. <laughs> I'll, I'll read it. I'll, I'll read it. That's yeah. for sure. Uh, th- I mean that that's basically all we got for everybody this week though. Is uh, anything else you guys want to, want to get get off your chest before we wrap it up just that i'm a huge fan of the podcast i've listened to y'all's podcast i think it's awesome uh it's i i have so many questions for you james but i think there should be a whole separate episode about how you live your hornets fandom uh across the atlantic ocean you know um but we don't we don't have another two hours for me to ask you those. <laughs> thank you oh, so much anytime happy happy to talk yeah no thanks yeah, for coming on zach good to have you on yeah yeah thanks for coming man we'll get we'll have to get a uh, a megapod with uh we'll get john in here we'll we'll get every any at the hive live contributor that wants to come on we'll we'll get all the mics open let everybody get it all Two out. hours on riller yeah that would hey I, I'll, I'll give you i'll give you four if you need it don't, oh God, don't, don't you, encourage him zach don't, don't you worry him. don't you worry about that actually maybe we're not done maybe we do have to talk about it. <laughs> no, that, thank you all for for tuning in to this week's episode of at the hive live i am your host chase with my co-host james and zach brown we will see you guys next episode